Geek Bill Radio. Uh, the idiots in control. Hello once again, all you fellow geeks and geekesses. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with an episode that, well, we kind of wanted to get it out uh, a week earlier, but unfortunately, time did not permit. But we are going to be talking some news. We're going to be talking the legendary Christopher Lloyd. We're going to talk some Batman and its numbers, as well as some Obi-Wan news. And then we'll wind it up with what we'll simply call Who is Moon Knight? By the time you hear this, the second episode of Moon Knight will have aired. But at the time of this recording, we've only seen the first one. But we figured we would talk Moon Knight, the character and such. Uh, so if you don't know who he is, we can give you the, the basic info on who he is and what what we can expect. And once again, joining me, especially to talk about Moon Knight in the latter part of the show, my usual co-host, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. So we will jump right into the news then. This week in Geek News. I just about did a double backflip in my chair when I read this. Uh, this was actually, believe, broken by the Hollywood Reporter, veteran character actor Christopher Lloyd. And I mean, if, if there's like geek cred royalty, I think you can make the argument that Christopher Lloyd would make that list. He is actually going to be in Star Wars in the Mandalorian season three. And now it has not been revealed what his role will be, but it looks like it's not going to be a regular recurring role, just a guest star for a couple of episodes. And, uh, train, I think you were probably happy when you, when you heard this as well, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this puts him on that short list of actors now that have done both star Trek and star Wars properties. Yes. And that, that is a list. I've been assembling a list off and on over time. I, I want to make a, Entry on it at the geekvilleradio.com website. But that, there's some actually some surprising names in that list, but we're not here to talk about Star Trek. We'll probably talk Trek sometime in a future episode. I'm not the Trekkie you are. Mm-hmm. Let me say this before we exit the world of the Federation there. Christopher Lloyd might be the best Klingon ever in any incarnation TV or movies. He was that good. <laughs> yeah, because I, I remember hearing that he was in star trek 3 later on sometime i think it was in the late 80s or early 90s or something like that, after he had done back to the future and i was like wait a minute christopher lloyd's in star trek 3 where was he and then of course i go back and now that i'm looking for him i see him now yes as the clan commander the but yeah yeah and it, you know of course for people our age our first knowledge of christopher lloyd was as the incredible reverend jim in taxi the old sitcom this literally burned out ex hippie guy. He was so good in that role, and you knew from that he had comedic timing. Uh, I think one that one role of mine that I love with him that got left, it kind of gets forgotten because it was right before the Doc Brown Black the Future stuff. He was good in Clue, mm-hmm. movie Clue, which by the way the entire cast was that. Yeah, that was that was an all star cast. We we could probably You're do talking, that for uh, a nostalgia trip. A or nostalgia something. trip, yeah, exactly. It might even merit a lesser-known Geek Hall of Fame induction, to be honest with you, because it did yeah. not do well at the time. I think mostly because of the unique approach to the ending and the marketing campaign. But you're, mm-hmm. you you had him, Howard Hessman, Michael McKeon, Leslie Ann Warren, the, the incomparable Tim Curry. Who else? Uh, um, was Madeline Kahn in it? 
I want to say. Yeah, Madeline Kahn. Yes, yeah, she was. She played oh, Miss Scarlet. Did she play? Was no, Miss Scar- Scarlet was Leslie Ann Warren. Who she played the other Miss Peacock. Who else was it? Martin Mull. He's just a great cast. Even in a bit role, two bit roles I loved in that movie was Kelly Nakamura playing the cook. Who, for a fan of Mash like me, she was Nurse Kelly the entire run on that. That's the only other thing I remember her doing was mashing mm-hmm. that. And then the the victim, Mister Body, is played by Lee Ving. And if you're a fan of punk rock like I am, he was the lead singer. Of the of the eighties hardcore punk band X okay. or not X, uh, Fear, Fear. So anyway, but you're right. I mean, you look at you look at Taxi, you look at Clue, you look at Back to the Future, you look at Star Trek. He has geek cred all the way. And yeah. it, if some point he doesn't say in the Mandalorian where we're going, we don't need roads. I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> it can certainly be worked in. Yeah, absolutely. Great Scott can definitely. You know mm-hmm. what was that great line he had in the first one? Oh, so Ronald Reagan's the president. Does that mean, does that, who, who's the vice president? Who does he say? Uh, I think he says Jane, <laughs> Jane Wyman as uh, first lady. Because that would have been when Ronald Reagan was still married to Jane Wyman. Before he, they had divorced and he married Nancy. But he said, so who's the vice president? And he named another actor from that era, like Cary Grant or something. It was funny. It's <laughs> yeah. a great line. <laughs> it sounds to me, though, from what you're describing here, it's going to be more like a Timothy Oliphant type of role. Yeah, I, I think so. Or maybe how Michael Bean was in the in the second season, where he was only in that one episode before getting gunned down. Right. I mean, I can't even say it's going to be like Dan Trejo, because Dan Trejo legitimately was, was just a cameo. He had that one scene where he brings the Ranker in. He has that one little bit of lines where he talks about bonding with the Ranker monster. And that was that. <laughs> and did anybody doubt for a second that Danny Trejo was capable of training a Ranker? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> if that anything, he could intimidate the ranker. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly good casting. So, I mean, The Mandalorian is getting kind of impressive with all the, the guest stars and cameos they're having now. Because what we just said, Timothy Oliphant, Dan Trejo, Michael Bean, now Christopher Lloyd. We've said it before when we've talked about Star Wars in general. There are a lot of people in Hollywood that are Star Wars fans. And they look to be involved in any way they can. So when they come knocking, yeah, I'll do it. it it's now famous. Daniel Craig wanted so bad he was willing to take the uncredited role in in, in, in Stormtrooper's outfit. Yep. One other thing about Star Wars is, I don't know the full reason why, but it was revealed. I think Ewan McGregor himself recorded the uh, announcement, but Obi-Wan Kenobi is getting delayed. It was originally supposed to come out on May 25th, which is kind of the unofficial second Star Wars day, you could say in May, after May the 4th. And that's the bad news, but... The good news is that they're actually going to drop two episodes at once, kind of similar, I think, what they did with Hawkeye. If I recall correctly, Hawkeye had two episodes at launch. And I don't know why they're doing it, but, hey, I I certainly am willing to wait two more days to get two episodes at once. I'm, I'm assuming you're also in that well, camp, yeah, right? I'm fine with that. I'm thinking the 25th was like a Wednesday, wasn't it? Let me see. To the calendar, Robin. Yes. May 25th actually would be a Wednesday, yeah. So two days later would make it... Friday, Friday. Uh, May twenty seventh. That might that might be why I get a strange feeling that's going to be the normal release day. It's Friday, so that might be the only motivation. Okay, why why drop it on a Wednesday and then wait, have to wait a week and a half for the second episode when we can just drop? I mean, it's it's one thing I learned in wrestling where it comes to weekly wrestling television shows. Television viewers are creatures of habit. We could sit here and go on do a whole episode on good television shows that failed when they get moved. To different dot we we talked about that in our very first nostalgia trip with the dukes of hazard you right know? that was my friday nights way back when right I and mean, there there are shows that are so amazingly popular they get moved around and they and it doesn't hurt them but they're few and far between you know right 
Yeah. A lot of times we kind of think uh, of uh, some days as we don't necessarily think about it as Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. We think about, of, oh, it's uh, Stargate Day or whatever. Right. I mean, there was that whole campaign when we were kids or high schoolers in the 80s with all the sitcoms that were on uh, NBC on Thursday nights. With the, I think Cosby was the lead in, wasn't it? The Cosby show? Sounds about right, yeah. And they kept that trend up. Even after Cosby got off, that was the same night I think Friends was and Seinfeld. So it, it just it is what it is. That's just programmers at television and streaming services are they're a bit superstitious and they believe in that. And and there's there's a lot of data to say they're right. Mm-hmm. And so I would I would think if if it's it could be nothing more than just that. It could be just Hey, why are we dropping it on a Wednesday if the regular release date's going to be on a Friday? We just move it back two days and there we go. Or or I maybe this is just my own speculation is that it it'll be essentially the summer season and maybe more people will be home or something to that effect cuz that's when a lot of people are going to vacation. Maybe right. they just decided Friday was better than Wednesday. I'm sure they have their reasons. Is that the same weekend as uh, Memorial Day? Was more than that Monday after? I believe so because Memorial Day weekend I think was traditionally when Star Wars movies would get released, at least the original trilogy and the the prequels. Right. And of course, that is you can say you can speak to this better than I can, having worked in a movie theater. That is historically speaking, the beginning of the movie, the the, the summer movie season, right? Is the yeah. more that we get exactly. Yep, yeah. Sure is Monday so sure May thirtieth. And then it's funny you'd say the Friday being a big deal because Friday used to be a death slot for television. One for once again from our childhood, Miami Vice was a huge cultural phenomenon in the eighties, but it was amazing that it did as well as it did coming on at 10 o'clock on Friday nights. Well, 10 o'clock for me, nine o'clock for you. Right. But it's the target audience you would think, which would have been that kind of teenager, young adult. They all go out on Friday nights. Yeah. They're all going to ball games, school events, partying, bars, whatever. Yet they faithfully got people to come home or stay home, or whatever, and watch Miami Vice. You know, I mean, like I, I think the Mandalorian is such a, a is such a hit that they can put it any day with people. I think Obi One is going to be just around the same because it's going to get some of that rub from Mandalorian. Plus, Obi One is a very cherished and appreciated character, whether it was Sir Alec Guinness or Ewan McGregor portraying him. We say that Solo bombed, but we talked about on our last episode. Had they done the solo movie as 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 a an episodic show like this, we think it would have fared better. I, I think so. And really, I, I, I know I'm going to play the old man card again, but it's just like kids these days don't know what it was like. It's like if you didn't catch your show at home and you mm-hmm. didn't somehow know how to magically record the VCR to catch it at the right time, it's like if you weren't home to watch that show, you didn't watch it. This day and age of streaming, it's like it's such mm-hmm. a luxury and we're so accustomed to it that... It's like, okay, well, if you're not there on the premiere night for a Netflix show or whatever, yeah, it'll just be there in the morning. You can watch it in your own leisure time. And then, so you get to people that will not watch a show that got released on streaming and then they complain because everybody else talks about spoilers. And it's just like, well, the rest of the world does not revolve around your viewing habits. Yeah. And I think this all started when we were kids with the advent of of videotapes and then uh, DVDs. Mm -hmm. I've heard, you know, a lot of people a little bit older than us talk about there were certain movies that would only come out once a year on television that it was a big deal because they were not re-releasing them in theaters and they were a little bit different than like the the kid animated holiday specials but like you knew every easter sunday the ten commandments was going to be on abc that night you know 
Yeah, Wizard of Oz oh, came around Christmas Wizard time, I think. Yeah, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind. And this is these network were, TV. This is broadcast networks. These aren't, these yes. aren't UHF stations or syndicated stations. Oh, I remember when CBS got the rights to finally show Gone with the Wind. And it was such a big deal. Carol Burnett did that famous spoof of Scarlett making the dress out of the curtains and made it a skit on her, on her Carol Burnett show as part of the brand synergy because she was on CBS too. So that was a big deal, and it meant, it meant a lot, and also with the holiday specials. As a kid, we only got to see that once a year. We weren't going to the theater to see it. We couldn't just go mm-hmm. look it up on streaming. We didn't have videotapes back then. When Wizard of Oz came on, you watched Wizard of Oz. It was a big deal. Was the, when Rudolph came on, you watched it. It was the only time you were going oh, to yeah. it. Now, it's just one of those things that, like you said, streaming and, and stuff, everything on demand, it's kind of removed some of the specialness of, of, of some of this kind of stuff. Agreed, definitely. But getting back to the news, Matt Reeves, the director of The Batman, which we reviewed an episode or two ago, he actually released a cutscene from the film that was more of an extended conversation between Batman and the Joker, because they really, they implied Joker, I think, more than anything as far as the movie. I mean, there there was that quick kind of almost like an Easter egg, but... Right. The scene that that is really there was a genuine conversation going on there, and I know some people might wonder why they would release this cutscene while the movie at the time of this recording is still playing in theaters and still doing pretty well. I think at least part of it is that there's two spinoff series that are going to be on HBO Max. There's going to be one that's going to be the Penguin. I think we talked about that during the review that. We're getting a Penguin series, and then we're also going to get one that's going to be based either around the GCPD and the Gotham City Police Department, which would probably be, obviously, a Jim Gordon that probably is the main character, or it might be, I should say, and or, not on and or something out with Arkham Asylum. And it would not make sense for an Arkham Asylum series to have the Joker in it. So I think that's what they're trying to do, is they're kind of whetting the appetite for whatever spinoff series that are going to hit on HBO Max. And with it being that scene, it, it would seem to lend its idea to more of an Arkham Asylum-centered series than a GCPD one. Before we got this movie, remember, before before Matt Reeves was tied to it, it was going to be Affleck, who was going to star, direct, and write it. And his original idea, as well known now because it's been leaked, was to be much like the Arkham Asylum video game. And it was going to be based on all of Batman's rogues gallery in Arkham Asylum. And that was the whole point of the post-credit scene. In not not the Snyder Cup, the original theatrical release of Justice League. My understanding is Deathstroke was a basically going to assume the role that Bane had in Nightfall, right? Where he somehow through his own through his machinations creates a massive breakout in Arkham Asylum, where most of Batman's villains are escape, and then Batman has to gather them all back up. Which, if you're familiar with the Nightfall comic book storyline, that's what Bane does before he breaks Bruce's back. Right. They were the same thing with just Deathstroke. And, yep. you know. and that's what um, led so, to the rise of Azrael as the temporary new Batman until Bruce right. Wayne healed. And, and then, had, then had to take the cow back. Exactly. It did really, really did introduce the Azrael character into the Bat Mythos was through that storyline. So that storyline gave us Bane and Azrael. That's pretty impressive. Those are both major players in the Bat Mythos. But have you read anything online about the people's take on this cutscene? Not really. Most of what I've seen has been positive. I think there were people that uh-huh. thought it should have been left in, but the movie was already three hours, so I don't know yeah. 
how much stuff they could have taken out. And one of the things I think I might do when it gets released on streaming or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever I can do it is just play the movie actually a little bit faster, like at a 1.2 speed or something like that, <laughs> because a lot of the stuff moves so slow. It's like you could actually watch it with a slight fast forward and get you the movie. Lose anything. <laughs> yeah, you, you still catch everything and the movie will go by a little faster. Yeah, I, I've I've heard mixed, more positive than negative, but I think that's to be kind of expected with the Joker character. He is so popular, and people are so impassioned and have strong feelings about Joker as a character, and having already been involved in Matt, every incarnation I can think of of Batman, whether it's animated series, the video games, the stuff in the Snyder stuff, the Jack Nicholson portrayal. Cesar Romero. He's wherever Batman's been, Joker's been. Yeah. Right? And much like it, Batman himself, the Joker has had different depictions over the years that still kind yep. of fit as the Joker, whether he's a cruel, bloody killer with that sixth sense of humor or whether he just tells jokes or throws exploding babies at people or something to that effect. There's right. some either more violent or more campy elements depending on who the writer is. Right. And I, because of, of all that, it's just going to be natural. Any new depiction of him is going to be polarizing. There are going to be people on both sides of the fence. He's one of those characters that no matter what road you try to go down, what way you choose to interpret him, there are going to be people who are going, oh, nice, new, fresh take on the character. There's going to be those like, nope, nope, because you've got people who are, oh, no, no, Heath Ledger is the only Joker. No, no, Jack Nicholson is the only Joker. Nope, Cesar Romero, Mark Hamill, whatever. So... I don't think you should read too much into the negative or the positive review. Just judge it on your own because Joker is just one of those characters. Anytime he's, there's a new actor portraying him, whether it's voice work or live action, it's going to be polarized. Yep. He's going to face scrutiny. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into all things Moon Knight. We just call it Who is Moon Knight? Whenever we have some of these shows or movies that hit, we like to dive into characters that might be making their debut in a tv show or a movie even though they've existed in comics for years this time we are going to do moon knight this is geekville radio and we will be right back are you looking for a gaming themed podcast then check out you just got Friday. join host jared aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world and of course the gripe of the week it's all at YouJustGotFrag.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Attention all time lords and ladies. This message is being sent by Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor about everybody's favorite time lord, the Doctor. From Hartnell to Whitaker, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for favorite and not-so-favorite Doctor Who stories. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, GeekvilleRadio.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, we are back. We're talking Moon Knight. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, by the time you hear this, the second episode will have been airing on Disney+. Plus. We saw the first episode, and we'll also review that episode. But before we do that, let's dive into who Moon Knight is. And let me set the stage here, Train, and then I'll turn the reins over to you, because I know Moon okay. Knight's, well, even though I'm kind of the Marvel guy, you, you know Moon Knight a bit more than I do. 
I know Moon Knight over the years, he's kind of been called the Marvel's Batman, uh, probably because it's mainly a character that does his stuff at night, and the alter ego, so to speak, is a very wealthy individual. He's a top-notch fighter and such. And yeah, kind of like the Punisher, he's one of those characters, I think he first made his debut as a villain in Werewolf by Night, but they wound up making the character uh, a hero in the end. And for people who might not know what's going on with the first episode, uh, well, first off, I should have waved the spoiler tag, so let me do it right here. All right. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler hole has been breached. Spoiler hole has been breached. Now, if you watched the first episode and have no clue what's going on as far as the identity of Oscar Isaac's character, well, here's the very brief, very blunt summary of Moon Knight. He has multiple personalities, and what you were seeing was one of the personalities that Oscar Isaac is playing, but we saw the hint of the main alter identity of Moon Knight, which is Mark Spector. I think that covers it all, basically. He's Unlike Batman, he's got some powers. He does most of his stuff at night. Mark Spector is the main identity, alter ego, you might say, but he does have multiple personalities. So that's my basic, very basic summary. So I'll let you uh, take over the reins here from Train as far as uh, what we can expect with Moon Knight or what maybe a little bit of history of the character as well. Well, let me say, first off, Mark Spector is the main identity. That is who he is. If any of our listeners are familiar with the Bourne franchise, whether the movies, the books, that David Webb is like the real person, that Jason Bourne and all these others are just identities, same thing here. Mark Spector is Moon Knight. One of the things that's interesting about the character of Moon Knight that I enjoy, besides his powers and the storylines, is, as a comic book fan, Seth, a lot of times different writers come on board and retcon characters. Oh, yes. And, then, and so they contradict what earlier writers have said, and then they have to jump through hoops to explain, well, why is it like this? That never really happened with Moon Knight. Moon Knight, I think they're on the 10th volume, so that's the 10th edition. He's this character that would only get like a, a two- or three-year run with his own title, and every successive writer would add a little bit to the backstory and further explain it so you never felt like this was being retconned. So it's not like Wolverine where there's like 17 different origins depending on when you read, right? Right. And the only other character I can think of that works for is the Joker. This is to talk about him again is because I don't even think the Joker knows his own origin. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of the whole point. That's the the way that he's always been presented. He's, He's told so many stories about his origin. We don't know if the Joker even really knows his or that's just being Joker being Joker. Want to know how I got these scars? Yeah, yeah, I know. That was shipped to this planet from before. You know, I mean, he's borrowed every hero and villain's origin story at some point. But anyway, you, like you said, the original introduction of Moon Knight was as a villain. We've talked about it last few episodes in preparation for the debut of this show that Stan Lee decided to just put out these horror-related titles without the comic codes, and one of those was Werewolf by Night. And Werewolf by Night, which I'm sure we're going to get this character in the Halloween special, come October is a character named Jack Russell. Yeah. They weren't that inventive in their names back then, (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) Jack Russell was, was the werewolf by night. He was kind of an anti-hero. You know, he tried to control his lycanthropy and his backstory. You do eventually find out it's a curse, family curse, genetic thing, but there is a criminal organization in Marvel called the committee. 
but you might know a little bit more on them. I, I don't I don't remember the community being used much past the early '80s in the comics. But think of them as like an Injustice League. Mm-hmm. Legion of Doom. And yeah, that was the uh, analogy I was going to make. Legion of Doom, maybe Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, something like that. Right, right, right. Exactly. Think, think those type of groups. They, the Jack Russell is is venting their criminal stuff, so they hire a mercenary named Mark Spector who goes under the 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 guise of Moon Knight with the moon imagery and silver weaponry to hunt down Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night. And as that story progresses, Moon Knight, Mark Spector, is actually realizes that Jack Russell has humanity. So he winds up not killing him, and they, they join up and then defeat the committee together. And that's the introduction of the character. And then you fast forward about seven, eight years, and then he gets his first title in 1980, Volume 1. And now they start to flesh the character out, where you find out, once again, this is not retconning. I think this is the development of the character. It's never explicitly stated that he's a good guy or a bad guy in Werewolf by Night. He's a mercenary for hire. Well, you get the backstory of why he became a mercenary. You get the backstory. He wasn't really working for the committee in his vigilante persona. He's actually gone under deep cover, making the committee think that he's a a gun for hire. And he's really just investigating what they're up to. Maybe that's retconning. I know, but I think it's clever. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, what we find out, the backstory of of Mark Spector is, he was born the son of a Jewish rabbi in New York and raised there. And very early on, now this was, like I said, we're on the 10th volume now. I can't remember. I think this was the 6th or 7th volume when we got this information. But you all start to piece it together as over time with each different writer. That as a child, he displayed some problems that are later revealed to be dissociative identity disorder, which was sometimes erroneously called schizophrenia by some of the writers. Now, as a mental health professional, let me kind of explain the difference schizophrenia means you hear voices you see visions that kind of thing right dissociative disorder is legitimately multiple personalities you don't realize that you it's Sybil. you wake up and you're a new personality and you have no memories of all your other personalities right which is exactly Uh, what we saw in the debut episode exactly and so he actually has had this as a child long story short he gets in trouble as a kid his father dies he escapes when he's on pass to go to his father's funeral and then lies to join the U.S. Marines and gets trained by the Marines and goes into the Marines. And they have, they have, because he has a mental breakdown, they eventually figure out that he lied to them and that he has mental disorders. So he's what they call 4F, the old military term for medically, medically unable to serve. So he's discharged from medical discharge from the service. And this now, now we have an explanation as to where he gained some of his skills. Much like Frank Castle being ex was the ex Green Beret. I think he was Force Recon Marine before that. But that's what Mark Spector was. Mark Spector was a Force Recon uh, Marine. So he does become a mercenary. There's a long convoluted story that I'm not going to go into in detail. But he, his his brother Randall is involved in this, who winds up becoming Shadow Knight later on and, and becoming his enemy. But he gains the Moon Knight thing when he's on a mission in Egypt where he and, and uh, a friend of his named Frenchie Duchamp, who's another mercenary, are hired. They don't like the tactics of the people that hired them, so they decide to help the people they were, they were hired to take. In the course of this battle, he is literally killed, and the local Egyptians place him in a tomb because there there was an archaeologist in their village uh, call, of an ancient Egyptian moon god called Khonshu. Khonshu actually resurrects. 
Sorry, that, yeah. that old, old joke. Yeah. yeah, but Khonshu actually resurrects him. And this becomes a, a recurring theme throughout the run of Moon Knight is that Moon Knight actually has legitimately died. And he's died many, many times and been resurrected every time by Khonshu, which puts him in a unique uh, position in comic book. We always joke about how comic book characters never truly die. They're all they're, they're resurrected somehow, one way or another. He's one of the few of them that's been resurrected multiple times outside of Ra's al Ghul. You know? Right. So he's the Kenny of the Marvel Universe, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got that. That's a good analogy. But as as the character develops, you find out that he decides to to leave the mercenary life behind and and, and use these powers and imagery that Konshu, because Konshu comes to him uh, after he's resurrected and becomes a vigilante. And this is where the Batman parallels are to come in. He he bases himself in New York because that's where he was born and fights crime in New York. A shocking, a Marvel character being based in New York City, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's from there, we get to learn more and more about his dissociative disorder and how he's developed all these different personalities that when they're first revealed, we don't realize it's a dissociative disorder we do in later volumes, that he is, he is the personalities in his war on crime to infiltrate things. The three biggest being uh, Stephen Grant, who is like a billionaire play, playboy, a uh, businessman, a taxi cab driver named Jake Loxley, and then just a suited consultant named Mister Knight. The Stephen Grant character that we see in in the movie in the show was is not this mild mannered guy that works in the gift shop <laughs> at, a, at a at a museum. At a museum it's not based yeah. in London. It's it's not based in London. It's based in New York, and he's not mild mannered. He's like he is Bruce Wayne. He's all he's Oliver Queen. That's who Stephen Grant is. So. They, they stay true to the name of the TV show, but they, they made his backstory. And I don't know where they're going to go with that. But he, he assembles a team of helpers, a, a Moon Knight family, so to speak. He has a specialized helicopter he calls the Mooncopter. He has a, a Batarang-shaped throwing weapon. The Moonarang? Yeah. Well, no, I didn't call them Moonarang, but they're shaped like a moon. You know, <laughs> they're called Crescent Darts is what I think. He, so you're getting to see why there were these parallels to him and Batman, you know? Mm -hmm. But over time, as the character is developed... We find out that he truly did have dissociative disorder going all the way back to, as a kid. And it was this multifaceted personality disorder he had is why Khonshu chose him. And Khonshu actually chose him long before he died as a, as a young adult in the Egyptian desert. That Khonshu had been priming him from birth, basically. Because Khonshu is a, is a member of the other void, which is another dimension like the dark dimension in the marvel multiverse and that the entities that exist in the other void are omnipresent they know the future the past and the present and they they're there all the time but they're unable to to physically manifest in our in our realm on earth so they have to find an anchor on earth that that becomes their avatar and they can possess them essentially to be their avatar and many of these other creatures were worshipped by the ancient Egyptians as gods. Now you got Khonshu's. And so the reason that Khonshu chose a person with dissociative identity disorder was because his personality is multifaceted. So each one of the Mark's personalities represents a different aspect of Khonshu's. And over time, Khonshu, Mark's powers have changed based on where Khonshu kind of is with him. There was a run there for a while in the mid to late 80s where he actually did have superpowers, where he his powers would wax and wane, like regenerative powers and strength and speed based on the faces of the moon. 
So if it was a that full moon, then he'd kind of be his at his most powerful. And if he if it's shadow moon or no moon, then he's probably less powerful, moon, right? Moon. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so that eventually was taken away. I think it kind of spoiled the character. The idea that he was just this highly trained military guy with that was smart, resourceful, and had the money to have this stuff built was a little bit cooler, I think, to, to, to fans than this idea of him actually having superpowers. So those are eventually taken away. But he is sometimes called the Fist of Khonshu because he's meant to be like the spirit of vengeance for Khonshu. And he he does time travel at one point. Time, and, and, and I think I've talked about before, there was a, when he goes back, some of the weapons that Khonshu give, gives him gets destroyed. And Hawkeye, you know, Clint Barton is actually traveling uh, back in time at that time and, re, and builds him like replacement weapons and he uses them for a while and then when they both get back into the right time area he becomes a member of the west coast avengers for a while because clint's the is the the, well, the what do they call the leader of the, of the avengers commissioner i can't remember captain America. Like the team. <laughs> yeah well yeah well they call, there's there's an actually official title mm-hmm. but 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 clint is that of the west coast avengers and so he invites moon knight because of their history traveling back in time um, Which adds to the he, whole thing we talked about when we reviewed Hawkeye, that Hawkeye seems to be like the perfect tag partner for just about any character. Somehow yep. Hawkeye ma- makes the team work. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so Moon Knight has, he's just a, he's a very interesting character because he, he has been developed over time to where there is no retconning. They just add another layer on, and I, you can do that because of the, the dissociative identity disorder. You can't do that with a lot of other characters. And one of the interesting things about his training, and I can't remember, I think it was, Ta- yeah, it was Taskmasters. Moon Knight, unlike Batman, unlike most other superheroes, will actually take a punch to get a better position in a fight. In other words, he'll hurt himself to hurt you. You know, to make mm-hmm. the wrestling analogy, he's Mick, he's Mick Foley. He's Cactus Jack. And I mean, Taskmaster even said one time, of course, Taskmaster's ability is that ability to mimic anybody's fighting style, just watching him one time. He chooses not to, to, to mimic the fighting style of Moon Knight because he doesn't like getting punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually <laughs> so that's pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's to give you an idea of how, what Moon Knight's fighting style is. So he does have a definite look into the mystical occult realms of Marvel Universe. This is when he lets Khonshu be in control and he can see these vision type things, which probably doesn't make him that dissimilar from like a Stephen Strange, who when he looks at other realms and stuff kevin feige has openly said this character could open up another whole avenue to the marvel cinematic universe i think with the addition of shang chi i think with the development of 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 wanda and strange i think with blade coming he's definitely going to be a major player in that occult mystical side of marvel i'm assuming you agree yeah i think i would put it at least just my opinion that maybe adding more of the horror elements because mm-hmm. we know we're getting blade fighting vampires is about as horror as you can get. And right. Moon Knight, his whole shtick is that he works at night and it's his first appearance was fighting a werewolf. So I think it's, yeah, it's, right. it's pointed into that more horror thriller type uh, vibe, just like how Dr. Strange was used to introduce the mystical aspect. Right. Exactly. And I think as far as the, the, the main villain in the TV show is going to be Amit, who is a, is a, is an ancient Egyptian goddess. She is also from the other. She is a generational eternal arch nemesis of Khonshu. So now you can see that why there's going to be this beef. I don't remember any analogy to the Arthur character that, that Ethan Hawke portrays in the show. 
is basically like an avatar for for her here on this earth. But when I heard her name, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This is yeah. where they're going to go. You, you yeah, know? His main arch nemesis, like I said, and I don't know if they'll go into it in this season or not, actually is his, his real-life brother, Randall Spector, who becomes Shadow Knight. Yeah, and how great of a name is Shadow Knight? Talk about a cool superhero name. Yes. <laughs> well, he's a villain, so, you know, mm-hmm. it's still it's a good villain name. It's just, it's just a great comic book. So I think what we're going to see this season, based on just one episode, we are going to again to delve further into the, the – the, the DID, the dissociative identity disorder, he's going to begin to understand that this is what he has. He's going to learn to come to peace with Konshu. He's going to learn to let Mark be in control when he needs to be protected by Konshu. We're going to have the big mono mono with Konshu and, and Amet fighting, and maybe there's a backdoor or a, 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 a brief introduction to Randall and make him the villain of season two. That would totally make sense, think- yeah. I, that, that's where I see it going right now. I, I have not seen it yet, but I do think we will eventually get Marlene Alyaroon, who in the comic books becomes his girlfriend, then his wife, and his, the mother of his child. She is the daughter of the archaeologist who was at the village when he died the first time. I think eventually we will see Frenchie, uh, because Frenchie is a, Frenchie's somewhere in between Robin and Alfred for him. You know, does that make sense? He's, mm-hmm. he's a confidant. He's a, he's a sidekick. But he's just as capable at, at kicking ass as as Mark Spector is. Just doesn't have the helpfulness of Kanshi on his side. But he has the training. The, the I think you and me talked off Mike. There's a scene in that first episode where he's talking to a living statue there in London. I think that is an Easter egg of of, of one of the many contacts he has on the street. A guy named Crawley. C R A W L E Y. Now, whether they're going to flesh that character out and he actually is going to become an informant for him, it would make sense, you know, if they want to go that way, because who would be a better person to hear all kinds of street talk than a guy who's uh, living? Because people are going to talk for him, not thinking thinking anything about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I I could see them going that route. I don't know. I I do think more of the supporting characters from the Moon Knight uh, mythos are going to begin to pop up as the show progresses. Right now, all we really have is Con- him, Konshu, and Amet. And, and, but I think there's more to come. What, what say ye? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think we can kind of move more into talking the specific episode. Because I remember hearing before the episode aired, the first episode, I remember hearing before the show premiered that this was not going to have any direct connection to anything in the MCU at this point. It's going to be completely standalone story you can get by without even watching anything in the mcu beforehand and i think think that's fine sometimes you have to have your characters introduced that way and i also think that's why they introduced the stephen grant character first i mean mean, we only heard mark's first name i think we we didn't hear the the specter part of it but i think that's why they went with introducing stephen grant first because it was a more interesting way to introduce the character because if they went from the get-go with Mark Spector being the badass and then he starts developing multiple personalities, I don't think that's as cool of a way to introduce things where they kind of introduced him as a somewhat normal guy who all of a sudden gets thrown into a lot of weird things happening, which is a trope as old as storytelling itself. Right, and I think part of the charm of Moon Knight in the comics is that fact, that he has this dissociative identity disorder that much like part of the the charm of matt murdoch is he's blind but he's a superhero right Mm -hmm. 
the idea of a of a hero with an actual mental disorder. It's kind of cool, and how he, he overcomes things, and it, it it it's definitely part of the charm of the character, you yeah. know. Um, and, and I think that's but, probably why, or at least one of the reasons why Oscar Isaac took the role, because I can see how an actor could have fun playing different characters that are still physically the same person. I can see an actor really having fun doing that. As far as the other ways they introduced it, I think it's pretty clear that the voice that you were hearing in Steven's head when his body starts taking control of himself, that is Khonshu. That's actually the voice of actor F. Murray Abraham. I think it's a great choice to voice Khonshu. And as far as the Arthur character, uh, you may be right as far as him kind of being the avatar, for lack of a better term, for, for Addis. But it also wouldn't surprise me with the way modern tropes have been that they uh, wind up making him more of a tragic character and less of an evil character. But I'd also heard that that was a role that Ethan Hawke took without even reading the script, which, of course, tends to be a no-no for actors when it comes to their, their agents. You know, A lot of agents want their... Uh, clients to read stuff before they take the role but on a lighter note i also couldn't help but wonder is ethan hawk slowly morphing into kevin bacon because i was thinking he, the same thing he looked a they're, lot they're, like kevin bacon they're they're favoring one another the older they get special appearance by ethan hawk as kevin bacon <laughs> yeah i do think this idea of him becoming a tragic we've already gone down this road that's kind of essentially what they did with shang chi's father in the right. movie in his mm-hmm. origin story started out as the, as the bad guy and then he wasn't the bad guy he was just misguided he was being manipulated. I, I think that part of the reason that they chose London to be the setting instead of New York is because it does just that. It allows it to be separate from, because like we just joked a few minutes ago, New York City is, is as vital a character in the Marvel Universe as Spider-Man or Captain America, let's be honest. Yeah, you know? exactly. If he was in New York, unless it was before the events of phase one before the events of right. the first avenger movie yeah the bath. yeah it would be hard to explain that without referencing it because it's right. just how I mean, big those movies were the only time we've ever been to london was the end of uh of uh homecoming wasn't it no not homecoming uh far from home far from home yeah yeah the the the, the showdown between mysterio and peter parker you know and we may only see those two personalities we may never see mr knight we may never see loxley we may never see any of these other other personalities he has through the run of the comics he has one where he's a, a nine-year-old ginger-headed girl i mean he's got several one time he thinks he's even conscious himself so i don't know if we're going to see that great a diversity of personalities but i think we will get at least two stephen grant who's the mild-mannered british guy and mark specter who's the badass american you know there is uh, a picture out there i think it may have even been for the poster artwork where it's clearly Mr. Knight, because he's in a suit, but yet he still has the uh, mask over his face. Yeah, the Moon Knight hood, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get Mr. Knight at some point, I think. Now, you can see that first scene where we actually see the cowl and the staff and everything like that. How cool-looking character is Moon Knight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I think the way the suit came around him kind of reminded me a little bit, because I don't know if it's like that in the comics, but it kind of reminded me of Ragman in a little bit arrow no it's not like that yeah that is interesting because you know ragman a major part of his character is he's jewish the whole ragman persona is an actual ancient jewish folklore character that is played up big time 
in the comics at certain points, whereas you said they've openly said that's not going to happen in the show, right? Right. right. I, I don't think they're going to say he's not Jewish, but they just haven't pointed it out. Them. I don't, I don't know why, a, but I think it was a device that this is the way I interpret it when I read the stories in the comics was he was a Jewish kid born of a rabbi. His father was a rabbi, yet he was indebted to and 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 tied with an Egyptian ancient god. Well, how many thousands of years did the ancient Egyptians enslave the Jews? Mm. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I guess he's I, that, that makes, was that was kind of what I think the dynamic was. Here's just another Egyptian enslaving another Jew. <laughs> right. <laughs> and let's be honest, Stan Lee didn't write this. This was written by other writers, including like Doug Doug Mish, who is also Jewish. Yeah, and he also had a very good run on Batman as well. Doug Mish did. He did. He did. He did. But my my thing is, I think we all can agree that Stan was not afraid to talk in his comics about civil rights. Exactly. Yeah. And about racism and, and stuff and being a Jewish man himself. Uh, I don't think that would have been lost on Stan. You follow what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's why Magneto was depicted as the way he did. They kind of almost, almost talking about, like we were talking about before, the tragic figure in a way Magneto's like that. He just became a villain because of it. And he's a perfect example of a retcon because when he originally debuted, he wasn't a, a, a Holocaust survivor. His religious affiliation was not known at all. As they decided to turn him more into an antihero, they developed it. It made sense, mm-hmm. but he's a great example of that was a total retcon. It wasn't a further character. It was a curveball. Mm-hmm. But so far, one episode in, I'm 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 quite pleased with what I've gotten. Yeah, let's yeah. say you. I I was telling my friends that I I liked it. I gave it an A minus on my review, but I knew just enough about the character that I fully understood what was going on. I can totally see why, like we talked about at the beginning of the segment, if. Somebody had never heard of Moon Knight, they'd wonder what the heck's going on. Whereas the rest of us were like, ah, okay, that's Mark Spector at the end. Right. And then then this is very true to real life dissociative identity disorder. You, like I said, it's it's truly civil. The other personalities don't know what the current personality in charge is doing. And my understanding is that's fairly common in medical cases like that. Yeah. Yes, it is. Whereas schizophrenia, like I said, where it was erroneously called that by some writers early in the run of the character. Uh, is more of, of auditory and visual hallucinations. Think more like A Beautiful Mind, which was based on a true story, where he saw what, what we didn't realize till the end of the movie was actually a, a hallucination that he was having. The Russell Crowe character, the, the mathematician, mm-hmm. the, 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 Jude Law, the Jude Law character. That actually was a, was a full-on figment of his imagination. That's so schizophrenia. So in a way, the, it's kind of like tripping without drugs. Is that, and that might be a weird way of putting yeah, yeah, it. But. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get, they're, they're, don't get me wrong, they're similar. And not all schizophrenics see full-on visual hallucinations. A lot of times, it's mostly just audio. So a schizophrenic sees people that aren't there, and a dissociative art just becomes a person who ain't there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the major difference, I guess. I can know? see that, yeah. But they're like cousins. They're, they're similar, and they fall under the same main heading in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, which is the, the Bible here in America for diagnosing people with mental disorders. I mean, when I say it's the Bible, it literally is the Bible of my field. I have one on my desk. Okay, <laughs> if I because it's it's like a Dewey Decimal system. All the different diagnoses have a different number on them. And if I'm looking through a kid's chart and I see their diagnosis, and the 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 shrink did not be wasn't nice enough to write out what the name is, he just puts the number down. I got a cross reference. Oh, this one's this is one of those things. So, but yeah, they're under the same heading, the same main family in the DSM. But they are different. They're, there's several different, you know, 
how they manifest, what needs to be present for the diagnosis. But I'm looking at here, you're giving it A minus overall yep. first episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I loved it. I, I, I don't know if I called it. I, I might even go a little higher and call it an A. Mm-hmm. I was very impressed with the look of Moon Knight. Obviously, it's CGI'd. But I will hold back by just because Moon Knight is a badass fighter. Okay. He is one of the best fighter, pure martial artists in all of the MCU. He's right up there with like Cap and Taskmaster. Which is probably another reason why they make the Batman analogy with him. Right. So he's right up there with the with the top Shang-Chi, Danny Rand, uh, Matt Murdock, any of the great hand-to-hand melee combatants you can think of in Marvel. He's right on par with them. So I will withhold my feelings on that. I understand right now from a character development standpoint why the fight scenes we have gotten have been kind of disjoined because he blacks out and doesn't realize he's letting Mark take over. I think eventually... To satisfy the fans, they're going to have to let us see Moon Knight actually kicking ass. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that will come eventually. Will it be on the levels of that awesome scene of Matt fighting down the hallway and beating up all those those Russian mobsters? I don't know, but that's how badass. I mean, do you remember the the, the uh, early it was two generation ago or three generation ago video game console game called uh, Marvel Alliance? Yes, yes, I love those games. Ultimate Alliance, I think. Yeah, Ultimate Alliance. And they were kind of loosely based on the Ultimates version of the Marvel character. Moon Knight was an unlockable character, and he could be so OP if you knew how to use him right. Him and, and Silver Surfer were the two most OP characters in the, in the game, in my opinion. Because you could put a, a special skill on Moon Knight called Numchucks, which was a, a melee ability. Yeah. And it was essentially more of like a three-sectional staff than Numchucks, which he uses both in the comics, where it, it burned through your energy really, really quick. But you could take out boss level characters if you popped it and just you could just walk into him constantly doing damage. And he, and he struck so fast they couldn't block it. He would do this like little twirl with it and hit you with both ends. And then his superpower, they all could charge up and do a superpower, was called Lunar Eclipse. It was OP'd. He, he would do it and just chuck a million of those crescent darts I was talking about. The moonerangs? Yes. And throw them, threw them all over the place. And they would bounce off in every direction, bounce off the floor, the ceiling, and the walls. And, and they did damage every time they hit you on the rebound or directly. So you could walk into a room full of bad guys, pop that, and literally clear out a whole room, which is one move. Wow. So that's how badass he is, is that the creators that game made him almost OP. Mm-hmm. The only, only other character, like I said, that was even close to him was Silver Surfer. And he had a special ability to slow down time, which you basically slow down everybody else. And while they're all just sitting there moving slow, he just boom, boom, and ramming them with his, with his surfboard. So <laughs> the, you can see why both those characters were OP. Definitely, um, yeah. Even Cap's ability to throw his shield and do the ricochet couldn't do the same as the Lunar Eclipse special move. Could not. So yeah. I, I hope eventually, though, all that after all that long diatribe being said, I hope, and you said you think they will, we will get a point where we get to see Mark fully in control as Moon Knight and we get to see a full-on fight scene because that's just cool. And I think we'll get that because this is an action-based show. Well, there are two other questions that I would pose out there and I'm sure they're going to get answered. may not be in the next episode, but it's going to be answered before the the show's over. In that first episode, Stephen is seen walking around talking to, I believe, his mother or leaving messages for his mother on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And if he's actually not leaving messages in his mother's phone, where are those calls going? I, I, I'd like uh-huh. to know who he's actually leaving messages with. And the other thing is, why is he chained in his bed? Because he seems to not understand it, but yet 
doesn't seem surprised by it too much. I think he just, he doesn't fully understand. Sometimes he wakes up in places he doesn't know because Mark's taking over his sleep. I think that's why he does that. Now, on the thing about the, about his mother, remember he also found the phone hidden in that panel and mm-hmm. called the number? I think, this is my speculation, we are eventually going to find out he is with Marlene already. Right, you're in the, to his girlfriend. She's back in New York, ended run. I, I just took it that that was who he was talking to when he picked up that, that phone when it, when it rang. Right. I think that that and the mother, all that's going to be tied in. I think it's going to be her. I think that for whatever reason, he has snapped into a long-term time as Stephen and gone to England. But he really is Mark Spector, and they are together, and she's back in the... I think that's what's going Yeah, that seems to make sense. And like I said, if you understand dissociative disorder, identity disorder, one personality doesn't know what the other one's doing. So while he's in the, per- the Stephen Grant personality, he doesn't know anything about the Mark Spector. Which, so he wouldn't know who Mark is. He wouldn't know Mark lives in New York. He wouldn't know Mark had a girlfriend or a wife back there. I think that's what's going to be the personally. Yeah, but I could yeah. be wrong. Yep, that, that definitely would, would make sense. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Geekville Radio. Like we said, we think Moon Knight's off to a really good start. Looking forward to the, the rest of the series. And have, if this is the first time you're hearing us, Geekville Radio, first off, welcome. We are on all the podcatchers all around we can find. And wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it, you can find us there. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. We'll come up with all of our other shows as well. And Train, if people want to get in touch with you, where can, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. I'm also available on just about every other kind of social media platform with that same handle. Do want to go ahead and announce now. We are, we thought, like Seth said, we were a little bit behind, but we do look here in the next few weeks. We will be doing two more classic wrestling memories. We will be doing a tribute to Scott Hall and our annual review of the WWE Hall of Fame induction ceremony. So those are probably the next thing on our docket. But we'll have more Geekville Radio and other other things coming as well. Anything you could think you could add to that? That is, is there examining the doctor coming up? We're probably going to talk some news. I, I guess I'll use this opportunity to make the obligatory Doctor Who reference. Mark Short and I were going to talk a little bit about the rumors. I don't know how substantial they are, but there are rumors out there of that Hugh Grant may be the next Doctor Who. So I don't know if it'll happen, but. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when the next examine the doctor when it comes out. I'm not even a Whovian, but just based on this first episode, Oscar Isaac would be a good doctor. I think so. You too, yeah. But of course, they do that. I know, even though I'm not a Whovian, I know that the Doctor Who people do that. The April Fool's joke every year. This year, of course, it was Tom Holland was going to be, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Has there ever been a doctor that young? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I think the youngest one Matt, was Matt, either Matt, Matt Smith. Smith. Yeah. And yeah. Matt was what late twenties when he did it. Yeah, yeah, late late twenties, and I think Peter Davison was a similar age as well. Yeah, that's true. He so, was late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Well, you can also find us on social media at Geekful Radio. We are on Facebook and the Twitter. So, thank you, folks, for listening. We'll talk to you folks again next time here on Geekful Radio or, or any of the plethora of other shows you may enjoy. Since so, take care, folks, and we'll talk to you next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.